Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. We're going over to uh, Philippians chapter number one. And uh, if you're just joining with us, we've been spending some time here uh, out of uh, Philippians, and we've kind of parked here just for a little bit in this prayer that Paul prays for this church um, in uh, verses 9 through 11. And uh, he talks about some real important things here about the prayer, and the prayer really packs a very powerful punch and uh, as I've been spending some time just kind of rehearsing this, allowing this to go over my mind and my heart, I have been seeing more and more of what God could do through the individual or through the church that actually lives this prayer out and how this prayer can actually transform a person or even a church that decides that they're going to um, take this prayer seriously. And you know, sometimes we think that prayers need to be very long and and very formal, but in reality, this prayer that Paul prays, it's only about 50 words. It's one sentence, and yet the the power that this prayer has, I mean, the way that it's it's structured, um, the depth, the weight, the doctrine, the truth that just drips from this prayer is just absolutely uh, fantastic. And you know, there's a progression that begins with a challenge here. And the challenge is that Paul says, I want the church, I want you to abound in love more and more. And then there's a progression, you see how it follows, with knowledge and discernment. And then it moves on and it says the reason why we should be doing that. It's so that we can approve of excellent things. Uh, So ultimately that one day, Uh, when Christ returns, we'll be found uh, blameless, without offense, as we stand before him. And as we're filled with the righteousness of uh, Jesus Christ, and it's all to the praise and the glory of God alone. It's just a fantastic and awesome prayer uh, that that Paul talks about uh, through all of this. And, And really at the heart of this prayer is the gospel, Um, Loving with knowledge, the more that we familiarize ourselves with the gospel message of what Christ has done, how he's transformed us, how he saved us from our sins, uh, has he took the wrath of God on our place, on our behalf. Um, And the more that we familiarize ourselves with that message, with that story, uh, it transforms us. And uh, it uh, really helps us uh, to to turn from focusing on self to then start focusing in on more of what God desires for our lives and how God is, is working in us and through us. And it turns our focus to him and, and not to ourselves. And, you know, yet I have to remind myself of, of what Paul was doing when he was writing this prayer. Where was he? Sitting in a prison cell. I mean, he was about ready to actually be offered. Uh, He knew that the time of his departure was coming soon. He knew that he was going to die in prison. He knew he was going to have his head chopped off. But yet he's able to write this prayer with such joy and with such contentment of what God could do through 
these uh, individuals that were living at Philippi, at this church at Philippi. And so he focuses on challenging and praying for this church to remember what the Christian life is all about. And so here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Allow the gospel to continue to transform your life. Allow the gospel to continue to transform your life. Let's take a look at a couple things here as we see in this prayer as we've been progressing through it. First of all, I want you to see is, is, is this progression of this prayer. Notice where it begins, okay? It begins about abounding in love. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. But then the prayer ends with God. And he talks about to the glory and the praise of God. It begins with our ever deepening of the knowledge of Christ's love. As he says, I want your love to continue with knowledge to allow the gospel to transform how you love other individuals. And then it ends with the glory and the praise of God. Abounding in love with knowledge and discernment, he tells us here, allows us to approve what is excellent, which in turn allows us to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. And so when we're abounding in love with knowledge and discernment, it allows us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which in turn then what? It brings glory and praise to God. And so when we look at this, this next part of this prayer and the progression, learning how to love with knowledge and discernment is absolutely essential if we are to approve what is excellent and so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And that's what he says here in verse 10. The whole reason why we love with knowledge and discernment is so that we can approve the excellent things. Why do we need to approve what is excellent? That means that there are things that are just mediocre. I mean, there are things in, in life that just really don't have much value and worth to really be pursuing, to really be approving of. And Paul says, I want you to cut through all of that so that way you can approve what is excellent. And having knowledge and discernment in our love allows us to approve what is excellent. You see, Paul refuses to let Christians settle for the lesser things. He prays that our love would grow in knowledge and discernment so we can identify what is above average, what is superior, what is of moral and spiritual excellence, what really counts and pursue it. It is those things of excellence that we are to approve of. Look at what uh, Paul said in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse number 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. And so see, knowledge and discernment allows us to approve what is excellent. Now notice what Paul says here. He says, by approving what is excellent, because of our love that it's abounding in knowledge and discernment, he says that there is something that comes from that. And notice what he says here. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
So he's telling us through this letter to the Philippians that our discernment will allow us to only exercise our love and approval, which means to distinguish the correct teachings, to pursue the right things, to make it a priority to cast off the things that are leeches, the things that are sucking you dry. You ever wonder why people are so unhappy in this world? I mean, we have a lot of things, don't we? But do those things really make us happy? They suck us dry. They're leeches. And Paul says, I want you to have knowledge and discernment to that way you can approve those things which are excellent, those things that have eternal value and worth and be pursuing after those things because those are the things that will actually bring you great joy. I mean, this is Paul saying this as he's sitting in a prison cell. Do you think there's much joy in a prison cell? No, but Paul found the secret. Paul found the reason for contentment is because he knew how to pursue the things that were excellent. In fact, later on in Philippians, he tells us, he says, all of these things I count but dung. I count them as nothing more than refuse so that I may win, so that I may approve, so that I might pursue after Jesus Christ. So there are things that are not excellent. There are things that are of lesser value. There are things that, that hold no eternal weight or no eternal glory. And Paul says we need to have discernment and knowledge so that we can approve those things which are excellent. And so he wants us to see through to the heart of any matter that is before us. Paul is praying that his readers would have the good sense and exercising their God-given logic and reason in the midst of many voices, issues and concerns that were happening to see what is truly important and deserving our priority so that they would be able to make wise and spiritual decisions. And the result of that is so that they would be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Sad to say, but there are many believers who just drift through life. They're apathetic in their Christian walk with Christ. They just put it in neutral. They just coast. That's dangerous. Because Paul says when Christ returns, he wants us to find us pure and blameless. Why? Because we've been exercising knowledge and discernment. The NIV translates this phrase, I, I, I find it really interesting, to discern what is best. To discern what is best. Martin Lloyd-Jones comments on this uh, passage here. He says, the difficulty in life is to know on what we ought to concentrate. The whole art of life, I sometimes think, is the art of knowing what to leave out, what to ignore, what to put on one side, how prone we are to dissipate our energies and to waste our time by forgetting what is vital and giving ourselves to second and third rate issues. You see, what is vital here is that your focus, that you focus your life on loving God and others based on true knowledge and discernment. You see, if that is at the center of your life, 
Everything else will then fall in place. Look at the reason why we are to be approving what is excellent. Look what he says here. So that we will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. When Christ returns, by the way, he is returning. Probably sooner than we think. When Christ returns, will we be found as being pure and blameless because we were approving what is excellent? Because we have been abounding in our love with knowledge and discernment? Or will he find us just kind of coasting? Will he find us just kind of in neutral? Will he find us just kind of being wishy-washy? You see, God has called us to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that means that we have to deny ourselves. That means that we have to take up our cross and follow him. And so Paul is calling us to remember. Paul is calling us to remember, hey, continue in love, abound in love with knowledge and discernment so you can approve what is excellent. Cast off those leeches so that way you can be found pure and blameless at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, I find it fascinating that when Paul finally gets around to it of how we should prepare ourselves for the end of the world, for the coming of Christ, he says nothing about stockpiling of food or guns or digging an underground shelter or quitting our jobs and rushing off to the mountaintops. Instead, what does he tell us to do? He says we need to be diligent to cultivate a more discerning and knowledgeable love. He tells us that we need to develop greater, excellent moral purity and blamelessness. So let's talk about these two words that he mentions here, pure and blameless. What does it mean to be pure? What does that mean, to be pure? He says, he says I want you to do this so that you will be pure for the day of Christ. Now, it's true that if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you've believed in Christ, you've repented of your sin, and you've trusted Christ and Christ alone for your only hope of salvation, the Bible tells us that our sins have been washed away. They've been separated for as far as the east is from the west. The Bible tells us that Christ paid for our sin debt. But he's telling us here when Christ returns, that he wants to find us blameless, to be pure. So what does that mean? Well, the word Paul uses here is also translated as the word sincere. The word literally means to be judged by sunlight, to be tested as genuine. The English word that you have in your Bible, sincere, if you have a translation that reads sincere, that word is made up of two words. Sinny, that means without, and Sarah, wax. In the ancient world, dishonest merchants, what they used to do is if they were selling any type of pottery, the pottery that they were selling, if it had flaws in it, if it had uh, voids in it, if it had cracks in it, what they would do is they would rub a wax in it so that way it looked whole, so that way it looked complete. And so what people would do back in the day is they would take a piece of pottery if they were going out and they were shopping for a pottery and they would take that pottery and they would hold it up to the light because they're going to judge whether this pottery was sincere without wax. And so they'd hold it up to the light and if it had voids and it had cracks in it, it would show through the wax 
and they'd be able to tell that, hey, this, what you're trying to sell me is not the real deal here. It has wax in it. And so Paul here tells us, he says that the believers in Christ, by using knowledge and discernment, approving what is excellent, he says that will enable us to be sincere, to be pure at the day of Christ. And so when those merchants would sell pottery, sometimes they would hang a sign up and they would say, sincere, without wax, to let everybody know, hey, I'm selling the real thing here. But can you really trust people? No. <laughs> Still hold it up to the light, find out if it's really true, right? You see, the idea here is that as our love is abounding with knowledge and discernment, we are proving what is excellent, and in turn, our lives are becoming more and more sincere without wax. Or another way to put it would be without hypocrisy. You see, since God looks on the heart to be sincere means to live openly before God. God is able to see everything that is in our heart and in our lives. It means that you don't live a double life, putting on a good front around the church, folks, but living another way when you're alone or with your family. Listen to what Revelation chapter 1 has to say about this. John, when he beheld the revelation of Jesus Christ and he sees... Christ sitting on the throne. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 12, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead, but he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last." Do you realize that when Christ returns, the glory of Christ is going to pierce right through all the hypocrisy, all the, 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 the falseness, all of it. And so Paul is telling us, he's warning us, when Christ returns, he wants to find us without wax, without hypocrisy. And so what does that mean we have to do? We have to have discernment. We have to be going through what the word of God says. And when the word of God is pointing things out in our life, that we need to remove those things. So that way we'll be sincere. That way that we will be pure on the day of Christ. Then he uses this other word here, blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? You see, the word Paul uses here is, is meaning not in the sense that we are sinless, but in the sense that, that we are without offense, that we are not being led into sin, that we are maintaining a moral purity. 
In Acts chapter 24, verse 16, we find the same word that, that Paul uses here uh, when he was standing before Felix, and uh, Paul is on trial for preaching the gospel, and Paul says this. He says, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. So see, when we are approving what is excellent because of our discernment and knowledge, we are purposely making judgments of avoiding things so that we will not be led into sin and so that we will have a blameless conscience. In the lives that we live, there are many things that we become involved with, do we not? Whether those things are good or bad, See, the point that Paul is trying to make here is that we would have a blameless conscience standing before Christ when he returns. And so it takes wisdom and discernment to know what is worth pursuing and what we should be willing to leave behind as we run the race that Christ has called us to run. Now notice we are to be living this way. Look what he says here. We're supposed to be living this way. Why? For the day of Christ. Because Christ is returning. For the day of Christ, Paul says. You see, as we are growing in love, it should in turn affect how we are loving. And so the question that we need to be asking is, am I living in light of Christ soon coming when we all must stand before him? Are we actually living that way? Knowing that there's a countdown that has already been started, the clock is running out, time is running out. Are we living in light of Christ's second coming? Are we just kind of drifting through life? Everything's continuing the same way that it always has been. So that's what Paul is calling these people at Philippi to do. And that's what the word of God is calling for us to do, is to live in light of Christ's second coming. You see, if you're living for personal happiness or fulfillment in this life, you, you will live for self and will not live in love for God and for others. But if you realize that today you could be face to face with Christ, and by the way, Christ is coming, the day of Christ is coming, but in reality, if you were to die today, Christ is coming for you. <laughs> and you will stand before Christ. Today is the day of Christ for you. And so see, we all live in this moment. And once you die, it's over. And so we have to make sure that we are approving what is excellent, living a godly life, fighting for the right priorities in life, and living a life of integrity. Is that your desire? Is that the desire of this church? that we would desire to live a life approving what is excellent so that we would be found pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In Ephesians chapter number five, Paul talks about the relationship between Christ and the church, and he uses the relationship between husband and wife as an example of this. And he says, just as the uh, Christ gave himself up for the church, sacrificed himself for the church, he says the same way husbands are supposed to sacrifice and love their wives as Christ also loved the church. Then he goes on to say that the husband 
or Christ is the one that is washing the church with the water of the word. Why? So that he may present it glorious, spotless, without wrinkle before him, a glorious bride. In the same way that the husband is supposed to be washing his wife with the word, helping her so that he may present her spotless without wrinkle. And so God calls us to be living the way that he desires for us to live, and that is in the light of his second coming. And so I ask you, is that your desire? Is that your desire to approve what is excellent, to approve uh, what has value, eternal value, so that you may be pure and blameless before the day of Christ? Is that the desire of this church? There's a second thing that Paul goes on to say here, and that is being filled with the righteousness, the fruit of righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that next week. But let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.